Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. to the 49ers Rush Podcast, and here is your host, John Chapman. Welcome to another episode of the 49ers Rush Podcast with your host, John Chapman. That's me, and this is fun. Uh, I'm pretty excited about today's podcast because it's been a while since we've done a full-on mailbag episode where I just answer your questions, but holy cow, I put something out on Twitter just saying, hey, let's get some questions in, and you guys delivered, so uh, not quite sure how many questions we're going to be able to get to today if I need to break this up into two podcasts or not. But the wife has put me on a time limit, and I am recording in the bedroom right now as fast as I can. We've got family in town. So without further ado, let's jump straight into it. And if I do not get to your question, I apologize. I will, I'll save all those questions to make sure they all get answered. We've got a decent long off season, and so everybody's questions will be addressed. The first question comes from Chris, and he says, uh, love your podcast. Keep up the great work. Thanks, Chris. But this was echoed probably about six or seven times, which I was surprised because I, I felt like this has already been dealt with by the front office. But his question is, still continuing to hear rumors that there's friction between Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch. Now, 49ers fans don't want to hear this after Harbaugh and Balky couldn't see eye to eye. But uh, what's going on here? Is there really some cause for concern? Now, uh, here's the deal. This was brought up by Matt Miller um, at NFL Draft Scout. And first off, you have to understand who this guy is. I I do listen to Matt Miller's podcast, um, Stick to Football, because I feel like that his staff does a great job of evaluating talent. Now, I'm not a fan of Matt Miller, the person. He is a a guy that kind of... He'll throw whatever out there just for attention, and he's one of those kind of humble brag guys that just talks about his connections and how important he is about half the podcast. However, um, I do believe that him, Connor Rogers, is with him as well, one of my favorite draft evaluators out there. So uh, having said all that, you have to take into context what's being said. Uh, this is a guy that just wants attention. He is, you know, you got to put him in that kind of, you know, Steve Smith, Skip Bayless uh, podcast area thing where he's trying to draw attention to himself. And I got to give him some credit for the fact that he was on Matt Mayoko's podcast and kind of backed off of it a little bit. Now, Kyle Shanahan came out and said, oh, it's complete BS. And he's like, this is ridiculous. Our family's vacation together. Um, you know, a big reason Kyle Shanahan was hired for the head coaching job and he hand-selected John Lynch. So uh, that, that's kind of what's going on there. I don't think that there's any issues here. Now, 
Should there be friction in a draft war room? The answer is most definitely yes. Um, you, you know, especially whenever you only have so many selections, uh, you've got to be able to fight through some of these things. And to be honest, it, we have not drafted well over the past three years since this front office came into play. I don't know. There's some major misses that we have had at the top of the list. So, uh, you know, obviously Ruben Foster, that one was just a total whiff. Uh, Joe Williams, you know, we traded up in the fourth round to take a running back who never played one snap for us during the regular season. So that one probably is another huge whiff. Akilah Witherspoon, you know, the jury's still out. I think that he is going to be in contention for the starting corner spot opposite of Richard Sherman this year but again he finishes the number 131 ranked corner this year so he, he's still got a ways to go 10 penalties um, allowed a 98% passer rating five touchdowns allowed and only had one pass defensed on 68 targets those are all bad things so hopefully you know he, he it doesn't just stay a potential guy potential just means you haven't done it before he's got to change that around Tavarius Moore you know another third round pick still a giant question mark you know if we would have kept him at safety which was his natural position he'd be starting for the 49ers right now but instead uh, we've transitioned him to a position he never played before a project and he's buried on the depth chart he might not even see any snaps still um, this front office just seems to be stuck with we're smarter than everybody else. So uh, those are definitely some concerns. And, of course, Solomon Thomas. Uh, so many questions on Solomon Thomas. And that's okay. Um, you know, I got, I got to be honest. I'm not the biggest fan of what he does on the field yet. The potential is there. The talent is there. Everything this kid has gone through off the field is just uh, heartbreaking and inspiring at the same time. he He's an amazing man. And I could not root for anybody harder. However, you do have to look at the production on the field. You know, we drafted him third overall, and he's only got four sacks in 30 games played, um, 15 missed tackles, and eight penalties. So, you know, I, I sent a tweet, tweet out a while ago. So somebody asked, could he have eight sacks um, this year? It's possible, but a two to one penalty to sack ratio is not a good thing. And so hopefully he moves inside and we'll talk a little bit more about this. I'm going to break down some more, but here's, here's what, uh, one of my favorite Twitter follows out there at Wilhelm Von stupid asked, could you break down Solomon Thomas's pressure rate, uh, from the inside and outside? Now he asked for a three technique, five technique and edge. However, you know, I, I do have pro football focus. And so I'm kind of stuck to their research and they do not break it down. Uh, they show you the snaps that they take per game, but not exactly what their production was at each one of those things. So uh, here's basically what I could find. Weeks 13 and 17 were the only games that he had more snaps inside than he did outside. So out of the entire year, weeks 13 and 17, and to, to make things, to put things into perspective, those were his two lowest PFF grades not just this season, his entire career. So it, I understand the narrative, and I have been backing the narrative on this one big time, that Solomon Thomas should not be playing outside. He needs to be playing inside where he uh, flourished in college at Stanford. However, uh, the statistics do not back this up. 
Um, you know, it's only a two-game sample size, and so you've got to take that into account. But his his scores were 45.4 and 45.7 during those weeks, and he only had one pressure each game. So uh, if we, you know, extrapolate that, he had two pressures on 29 total snaps inside. That's a 6% pressure rate. Um, but if you look at his entire year as a whole, he played 337 pass snap pass rush snaps with only 28 pressures so an eight percent uh pass rate pass rush rate so uh, he was actually a little bit more effective on the outside i still think that he has to stay inside and just to put this into perspective uh deforest buckner for example played 544 pass rush snaps 200 additional than solomon thomas and had 53 pressures for right at a 10 percent pressure rate and eric armstead you know somebody that it had a hell of a year last year beyond productive. He just He's not a sack guy. He's a high-pressure guy. He actually had a higher pressure rate than DeForest Buckner. He only had 328 pass rush snaps because, again, if you remember, Cassius March would come in on obvious passing downs. But on 328 pass rush snaps, he had 37 pressures for an 11% pressure rate. So um, Armstead actually beat Buckner there. The difference is when Buckner gets there, he finishes the job. So something to keep in mind there. Now, here we go. Uh, th this question, ah, this is a new one, and I added it. This is from Chris A. again. After hearing the news that Jimmy Ward is out 8 to 12 weeks with a broken collarbone, I cringed and said, why did they resign Jimmy, Mr. Glass Ward? Uh, great reference there. Uh, my question is, should the 49ers cut their losses and release Jimmy Ward? If so, uh, is there anyone in free agency that they could pick up? There are people in free agency just sitting there uh this is the problem um now the question is is our front office going to pick anybody up i don't think they're going to for some reason they are just stuck with we like what we have in our secondary and you know my biggest critique of our draft this year was just hey uh, what is it that we are doing you know I, I got very angry when we drafted the punter um maybe i shouldn't have but i got very angry when we drafted the punter because I feel like we still have some major starting holes in the secondary. Uh, free safety and strong safety both need to be addressed. If you believe Tart to be the long-term strong safety option, I'm fine with that. However, he's never finished the season, so it, you definitely need some depth there. It, it was just rough. So uh, having said all those things, it, let's just – I don't think that we are going to sign another player. I, I really wish we would. Um, you know, Boston is there. You know, obviously – You've got one of the top safeties, Eric Berry. It's just, again, he, his health issues rival that of Jimmy Ward or maybe even worse. So do you just add another Mr. Glass-type player? Uh, personally, I would prefer to go get Boston or just anybody, to be honest with you. We just need bodies. Um, so if we look at Jimmy Ward, he's 27 years old. He signed a one-year, $4.5 million deal. So if we do cut him, you know, <laughs> we're not getting much savings at all we'll save eight hundred thousand dollars um so we're paying them so there's no reason to really cut them because it doesn't benefit you at all you do not receive any money back now you could trade them but you can't trade a player with a broken collarbone uh, that nobody else wants one we overpaid for him anyway two we did a one-year prove it deal well a broken collarbone is going to kind of adjust that so he's already at an eight to twelve week timetable so if we Best case scenario, he'll be ready week one of the preseason. Worst case scenario, he'll be ready week one of the NFL season. 
And we've seen this before. He gets hurt all the time. Obviously, you remember he pulled his hamstring uh, the first day of OTAs on the conditioning test a few years ago. He's already broken a collarbone. Um, this is a problem. This is a major, major problem. So now what you have, if you look at our roster, you've got two options to go. Adrian Colbert's going to be the guy that's going to get all of the early snaps there. So it seems like this is going to be Adrian Colbert's job to lose. Now, he was the number 114th ranked safety all of last year. Uh, we, we've seen him play amazing football whenever he came in in the second half of the season and just lit it up. And then last year was non-existent. So let's just say we don't want him. Well, our next best option is going to be Marcel Harris, who I think is a little bit better at that strong safety position. He was the number 113th safety option. So, um, you know, Marcel Harris, he's another one of those boom-bust guys. I really liked him. But if you go back and watch that last Rams game, almost every – there were about half the touchdowns were his fault. So he'll make a huge tackle or a huge play, and then he'll have a blown assignment. There's so many times you go back and watch that film. At the end of the play, you just see him with both hands on his head like, oh, I messed up. Uh, but he's young. Maybe he could turn around. But I think DJ Reed would be my personal favorite there. Problem with this is DJ Reed should be a nickel cornerback. We are playing another player out of position, um, and he was the number 97th player <laughs> at the safety position. So you can see we're not really dealing with a lot of top-tier talent especially whenever you consider all of these players are playing out of position. Adrian Colbert, I think, is a natural free safety. He played corner in college, but you've got these three guys fighting for the spot, and it's none of their primary spot. That is problematic from a front office standpoint. So, you know, this is very frustrating for me, but it's what it is. Um, all right, let's jump back on to the Solomon Thomas uh, talk at Henry Elizondo nine says, am I crazy in thinking Solomon Thomas can get nine sacks or sorry, eight sacks in 2019 seems healthy and likes the new scheme. So, um, I, I went ahead and extrapolated out all of the stats further. So in 2018 and 2017, he had 738 uh, pass rush snaps, uh, for four sacks, which is a sack rate of point. 5%. <laughs> Again, I love this guy. Um, he just needs to go get it. And really what I think we need to do with Solomon Thomas is root for this guy, all positivity, all those things. And I'm going to try to – I'm talking to myself here just so everybody knows. But anything we get from him is just going to be beneficial. Um, I, I think that's kind of where we are with him now. Perhaps the additional pass rush outside with D Ford and Bosa will allow him to be successful inside. And if that's just on spot duty, um, you know, inside on pass rush downs, I'm fine with that. I really do think that if we got four sacks from him this year, you know, half of what Henry's asking, I would be so ecstatic. It, it just any anything <laughs> i would be very very happy so four sacks is kind of the over under that i am setting him i don't think his snap rate is going to be very high you know we look at you know 337 401 i think he's going to be hovering around that 300 pass rush snap kind of status to where they're just rotating guys through there non-stop and just whoever can get there can get there so all right next question comes from at hindenburg 49ers love this question 
Um, imagine you could have been on an all-access pass intern for one single season for the 49ers seeing everything behind the scenes start to finish. What year would you pick and why? And for me, it, it took me less than three seconds to answer this question. It was 1994 very easily. I think that possibly one of the best teams in NFL history that year, they were just unstoppable. Uh, the Dion and Jerry Rice drama, best uniforms ever. I love uniforms. So those 94 all-whites are just so clean. Steve Young, maybe one of the most statistically uh, if efficient quarterback years of all time he goes nine touchdowns zero interceptions through the playoffs and super bowl plus an additional two rushing touchdowns i mean it, that team was unbelievable and the culmination of the super bowl versus the chargers which is one of the worst nfl games ever but it just showed how great the 49ers were that year you know jerry rice th this is the statistic that i always use in, in arguments about jerry rice being the best he had 10 catches, 149 yards, and three touchdowns, and wasn't the Super Bowl MVP. If a wide receiver put up those numbers now, they're guaranteed the MVP. But the problem was Steve Young had six passing touchdowns with zero interceptions. So that 1994 team had it all. Drama, uh, style, class. Uh, man, just absolutely incredible. Steve Young finally gets the monkey off his back and just complete domination start to finish. Really, you know, the Cowboys that year were about the only competition, but they took care of that. And Anyway, that's who I would go with. 1994, hands down. Great question. All right, real quick, just want to pause before we get back to some more questions and just say thanks to our sponsor at Game Day Sports and Memorabilia. Holy cow, these guys are the best. You know, we just did our Joe Montana autographed jersey giveaway, and I want to apologize to everybody that didn't win. However, the winner has not claimed his prize. I have reached out to him on Twitter um, and to no response. So I am letting you know you have one more week, kind sir. Um, at Niner Pride 66, there are a lot of 49er faithful that want that jersey. And, uh, yeah, again, please answer your DMs. Listen to the podcast. I'd love to send you this free jersey. But if I uh, this time next week I do not hear from you, man, I'm going to pass that along to another faithful. Um, I don't want to do that. But, anyway, I've got this Joe Montana signed jersey burning a hole in my pocket. And both my kids want it. So you better hurry up. Um, anyway, next question at Northern Soul. Would love to hear your thoughts and technical analysis on how Bosa fits with Chris uh, Kusurik wide nine game. Strengths and any weaknesses, is it possible Bosa will line up over the tackle and play his strengths uh, with hand placement and recognition? So, first things first, I, I believe a little bit different than our front office and coaching staff. I want to put players in the best position to succeed. I think this is how you pick your personnel. So with Joe, with oh, look at that. Just did it. That's the first time I've done it. With Nick Bosa, sorry about that. His number one strength and what makes him so special, number one overall player on my big board in this draft was he is elite and a complete player over the tackle. Uh, run game, absolutely elite. You know, 2017 Pro Football Focus, Nick Bosa had the highest rated season of any defender ever. This is a guy that has a complete game. Now, what, what makes him beyond special is how great he is at bending and playing with leverage against tackles in the passing game. Because of that, I do not want him in a wide nine. His strength is not that 
uh, initial get off. Even though it's good, that's not his best attrib attribute to the game. What is we do have another player that has that in spades, and that's D Ford. D Ford, if you go back and look at his sacks that he had with the Kansas City Chiefs, every one of them were standing up on the edge in a wide nine, just pure speed off the edge. So I would hate for them. <laughs> I would hate for them to to be using Bosa in a wide nine. Maybe once or twice a game I'd be okay with it, but more than that, you are wasting so much. And here's another thing that makes Bosa so special, and John Lynch alluded to this in the press conference right after they drafted him. You know, with Bosa, he's a guy that's played on the defensive left and right side. So he's not a guy that you just have to put on the defensive right side and let him go against, you know, the left tackle playing and play out. So I would not be surprised with this defensive scheme that we have now that we flip our ends in pass rush situations to where Bosa goes to the strong side um, and then you send D4 to the weak side so that he could blitz off the edge with that better angle and you allow Bosa to go against strength because he's so physical with his hand placement and his gigantic quads. So I, I want Bosa staying there because his bend and technique is awesome. So, and again, you, you know, allow the past to kind of set the playbook for you bosa he's never played that wine nine position very often that's not his thing he is always on top uh in that outside shade of the last offensive lineman then if you look at d ford same thing all of his sacks were in that wide nine last year don't take players out of what they excel at are some of the best in the country at already and put them in a situation that they have never shown success in um i, I guess my one message to this front office and coaching staff which sure as hell aren't listening to me and aren't asking my advice it's allow the players to be put in positions that will help them succeed you adapt your scheme to them or don't draft them um, you're doing them a disservice and i think you're doing your scheme a disservice in the long run as well next question comes from at j grover 1533 looks like the sam has changed due to the wide nine scheme What's the chances that Greenlaw, Warner, Alexander as the starting three linebackers in base? Um, so Sherman also mentioned that there's some wrinkles in the back end. Discuss what these changes could be. So let's just look at real quick. What I did is I went back and I tried to find the most three linebacker sets that we played throughout the course of 2018. Okay. And it's not a lot of snaps. You know, we adjusted after week eight. And this is where it started to change. So the five most heavy snapped games with three linebacker sets. Week 9, 19 out of 57 snaps versus Oakland. Week 10, 26 out of 59 snaps versus the Giants. Uh, week 12, 27 out of 72 snaps. That was just a high uh, shootout game versus Tampa Bay. Then the last two are huge because these are probably the most important. Week 13, 19 out of 58 snaps versus Seattle. And then week 15 versus Seattle again, 19 out of 75 snaps versus Seattle. So if you look at what we did last year, you're talking 27 snaps is the most. Uh, so about one-third of the entire defensive output of the game, we have three linebackers out there. I do think that's going to be a little bit more common this year where we're going to have closer to 25 snaps a game in that three linebacker set. So uh, what's the main difference uh, for what this means? Number one, the main difference is the wide nine will stop the quarterback from escaping the pocket to whichever side that is because they don't necessarily get that two-way go. They just scream off the edge. So if I'm the quarterback uh, and try to explain this visually, 
Um, and I have a wide nine to my offensive left or the defensive right. D Ford is screaming off the edge. As soon as I get the ball, it's an obvious passing situation. Almost always, the quarterback will step up in the pocket if the play doesn't, if he doesn't get rid of the ball in two seconds or not, or go to the offensive right away from that wide nine. So uh, what this does is automatically this creates better pressure and it helps the entire defense to allow it to shift, especially whenever we read the quarterback, which we, we have a lot of that with our free safety play whenever we do our true cover three. So, so this affects that a lot. Now, to the question of Greenlaw, he has a very uphill fight to start. Um, if I was to bet on anybody, it would be Elijah Lee or Mark Nazocha. Um you know, Malcolm Smith still isn't healthy. I don't think he's ever going to be healthy. I, I really don't believe that he is going to do that. Uh, he's the, one of the worst free agent signings we ever had. We had to pay up for a lot of guys like Pierre Garçon, um, you know, Marquise Goodwin, and, you know, Malcolm Smith whenever the new coaching staff started because we had to get guys in here. But this one just has not played out very well. Greenlaw, he's probably going to be a special teamer for the first four to eight weeks of this season um, just because there's so much depth there uh, where they have played a lot. You have your super high ceiling player in Elijah Lee, which I wouldn't be surprised if he's the backup for all three linebacker spots week one where he's the backup Mike, uh, backup Will, and backup Sam. Elijah Lee definitely has the highest ceiling. However, Nazocha and Greenlaw are basically the same guy. High effort, high energy, extreme special team studs that offer a little bit of positional versatility because they can play linebacker as well. So those guys are going to be competing for each other. Now, um, here's now let's get to the scheme question that you asked. I, I love this question because it's a lot. If you bring two nickel backs inside because of a wide nine. So here's what you're going to do. It creates more space in the passing game to the wide nine side. So let's pay attention to the defensive side and allow me to try to change this up and how to explain. Let's say I'm a linebacker, okay? I'm the Will linebacker, Quan Alexander. In a traditional 4-3 where the defensive ends are lined up right on the shade or the edge of the last offensive lineman, what we would do is we would probably stack to that side. So if Nick Bosa is in front of me as the edge defender uh, lined up on the outside shade of the left tackle, I'm going to be stacked. Or my inside foot, my left foot's going to be on his outside foot, the defensive lineman in front of me. It's a stacked position because as a defender, I have my pass game responsibilities, but because that lineman in front of me is lined up in the outside shade, I also have in-game gap responsibilities, whether it's a draw, quarterback draw, uh, any of those things. So you have both of those responsibilities. Now, once you do a wide nine, so instead of Bosa or let's switch it now to D Ford comes to my side, he does a wide nine. Instead of me being stacked behind him, that's going to change my alignment about two to three feet inside on that offensive B gap or C gap if there's a tight end. So it's going to force me to go in a little bit more. And so this is stack versus gap alignment um, in passing. And you're going to use this whether it's a tight five, seven, uh, then changes to a wide nine. So what this means is, back to what I alluded to earlier, I think we're going to see the ends switch with offensive alignment a lot more. You keep forward on the wide nine system. And this is going to make you want to have your kind of, <coughs> excuse me, 
your will linebacker do a little bit more of a pass first read and again you can change this up because you're not going to do a wide nine all the time so if it's third and four you probably don't want a wide nine because that's going to change the will linebackers initial read because if you have a wide nine to the will side he's going to be on a read pass read first because he's got to be responsible for that flat or that hook to curl under zone and you're moving him out by about a yard whereas if it's a tight traditional four three you can put him out there and you can have him a read first so if you're playing a team that runs a lot on third and short or third and middle then you don't want to do the wide nine however if you're playing a team that just passes non-stop on third down that's when you want to do that so just some minor adjustments with how you want that to transition and it seems like a really really small thing but as a you know former defense and offensive coach we would pay attention to the linebacker stack responsibility and you could tell pretty early about how quick they bail out of those tendencies and you can attack that because where they're lined up the linebacker depth on third and four third and five that's right out the first down marker so something that's going to be interesting and i could see that changing week to week based on our opponents and kind of who we're scheming against you know in our division we have the seahawks who run the ball more than anybody and we also have the cardinals who are going to throw the ball more than any other team that we have <laughs> so it's it's going to be one of those things where we're going to jump around and that's not a bad thing i think that's a good thing you don't want to be predictable all right, um, from at Tony UOP, Tony UOP, I'll stay with that. All right, who is entering training camp with injuries and who will benefit from the extra snaps available? Um, if you listened to the last episode or if you didn't, that's okay. I went through and detailed all injuries and updates, but I didn't focus on who this benefits the most. So great question, Tony. Let's do that now. So if you want details on all these injuries, uh, I've already done that on the previous episode. So if you want to get into the actual like recovery and what this means for the player and all that, previous episodes for you. However, let's just focus today on who this benefits the most moving forward. So Bosa and his hamstring injury right there. The number one benefactor here is Contavious Street. You know, we drafted in the fourth round last year. He was one of our ACL guys, which we got a lot, and just redshirted him basically for the first year. Now, the thing that Street has that a lot of other guys don't is he's basically a bull three technique that can play on the edge just fine and over the tight end side. So I think that it's helped him the most. Julian Taylor, obviously, and Ronald Blair, there's going to be a dogfight at that defensive lineman position. Um, you know, one of the next up, upcoming episodes, I'm going to detail the entire 53-man roster prediction. And a lot of it has to do with you guys. If you don't follow me on Twitter at JL underscore Chapman, I've been putting up a lot of the polls where you can vote on who you want to make it. And it's been interesting because y'all love Ronald Blair. I do too. He, he is a complete player that can do it all and just awesome. But if you love Ronald Blair, that means Julian Taylor probably not going to stick around. Uh, so it's something that you've got to do it there. And again, back to this Bosa thing, I really hope and pray Solomon Thomas is not getting those outside reps. He needs to be inside only. Uh, he's got to find a position that he can be successful at instead of playing multiple positions. Uh, Matt Breida with his pec, Mostert with his arm, and Jet with his ACL. So three out of our four guys are out. However, all are projected to be ready by training camp. So as if Tevin Coleman 
needed any more momentum to lock up the lead role in this backfield, he's getting all the reps right now. Um, and so this is huge. Jeff Wilson, you know, he's going to have a very tough time making this roster unless one of the four are hurt. Um, even then, he's probably going to be waived. Now, hopefully, he is still practice squad eligible, even though he got some playtime last year. So, you know, it, Jeff Wilson, basically what he's going to be doing is it, practice squad potential, but he could be picked up by somebody else. We have as much depth at the running back position as anybody in the NFL, except for maybe the Patriots right now. That's about the only team that I can think of that has more uh, backs, but Jeff Wilson came in and had a hell of a year whenever he was he was in there. So he, he's a stud. Austin Walter also might get some preseason work, but it's basically just a tryout for him. And if Wilson gets picked up by another team, perhaps Austin Walter could be our practice squad player coming back to us at that position. Uh, Jimmy Garoppolo and his ACL, even though he is out there for a lot of it, he's not doing team and all those things. This is the battle of the backups. Uh, it shouldn't be a battle. I really do believe Nick Mullins has cemented his role as the backup quarterback. I don't even think it's close. However, the coaches and media are going to make it be that way. Um, and so it's good for them to get snaps. Uh, Nick Mullins is going to be the guy. And CJ, basically, he's trying to – he's not practice squad eligible. And he is going to be trying to vie, try out for other teams. So he'll be picked up by somebody else. I doubt we carry three quarterbacks because we have some major question marks at some other areas. So uh, our third-round pick, Hurd. His is a pre-injury that took place um, right before the team's bowl game, Baylor's bowl game. I think Jordan Matthews has the most to gain here. Um, he will have to prove that the 49ers only need one smaller guy in the slot, either Trent Taylor or Richie James. I don't think that there's any way that the 49ers keep both Trent Taylor and Richie James. Um, I think it's going to be James personally, but uh, you know, again, this is another poll I put up. You guys love Trent Taylor, or at least the majority of people that follow me on Twitter did. And so he got the most votes, but with his back injury, uh, his low ceiling, yes, I understand he's amazing on third downs, but Richie James ceiling is a lot higher. Um, but regardless, L L Jordan Matthews has his work cut out for him. To make this roster that wide receiver depth is huge especially whenever you look at us drafting somebody in the second round debo and third round hurt so he's going to have to pass some people <laughs> um so um also let's stay with this one right here from at age i'm gonna mess this up a girardi 21 who are the oddball wide receivers that don't make the team you know we only kept six last year do you change that to seven and just let Hurd kind of have a year to uh, just kind of chill. But right now, I think the people that are not going to make the roster is Point Dexter. I think he's a practice squad candidate. Um, Lee Henry, we got McCaffrey. I don't think Trent Taylor or Jordan Matthews makes it. Uh, I love Jordan Matthews. He's one of my favorite players from Vanderbilt back when he came out. However, the addition of Hurd makes him somewhat expendable. So if Hurd can come out and practice and show that he can have a week one role, man, Jordan Matthews might be cut again. He's been removed from a lot of teams. So, you know, take for that what you will. All right, let's continue through these injuries. Malcolm Warner's knee and Malcolm Smith's everything are still out. Who does this benefit the most? I think it's Elijah Lee again. If he could prove he can handle all three linebacker spots, that could allow you to free up an extra roster spot. Um... You know, and 
who, who do you drop at that point? I think you keep Greenlaw because you just drafted him. I think you drop Nazocha or possibly Malcolm Smith. The problem with Malcolm Smith is that we don't get any cap relief if we cut him. Personally, I would cut Malcolm Smith and just say to hell with it. Let's keep two younger guys that are going to play on special teams and kind of have a little bit more fight in them. But, you know, that's it. You know, I hope they keep Quan Alexander exclusively at the will um, in nickel linebacker spot. I don't want him playing Mike at all. Um, I want Warner playing just at the mic. I want to simplify this thing for these younger players and allow them to just kind of flourish where they're at. So, all right, Garrick Selleck with his concussion and back issues. This is scary stuff here. Um, I, I really am not sure Selleck will ever play another down in the NFL, and that breaks my heart. Uh, hell of a player. He's given the 49ers everything. Love this guy. And from at Royal Jewel, he asked, given the new Selleck still stuck in concussion protocol, do you think Caden Smith was drafted to start this year? How do you think he would look as a rookie getting that time? Um, also, I know you just talked to him, but please, more Caden. Um, no qualms here, man. Caden Smith was probably one of my favorite draft selections we had this year. Um, and I do think that this is the end of Selleck again. And not only did they draft Caden Smith, but then they bring in Tololu. So that tight end two spot is going to be a fight for who starts. If I was a betting man right now, I'd say Tolololu. Uh, I think I'm saying that correctly, wins week one. However, Caden Smith will probably get more snaps there by the end of the year. Um, he's an absolute stud. And again, there's two spots left up for grabs. You know, I think Caden Smith is an absolute lock on this roster. <coughs> but you can only get two of the following. Garrett Selleck, uh, Tololu, and Roz Dwelly, who's been looking good so far in OTAs. And again, he's he's been around here. We seem to like him a lot. Now, that tight end spot last year, um, it only got 316 snaps. Kittle got 930, holy freaking cow. But the tight end two spot, that's 300 spot, uh, snaps up for grabs that we are going to need big time. So, all right, guys. My wife has given me the red flag, the checkered flag. So I'm going to have to stop today. Uh, the next episode I'm going to do is going to be a 53-man roster projection where I'm just going to go through every single pro pro progression, who's in, who's out, and why I think that is the case. Then we will get back to the mailbag question. So if you have more questions and you would like to be added, I've still got about six more to get to here. But uh, if you want me to add your question as well, please hit me up at Twitter at JL underscore Chapman. Or you can email us, 49ersRushPodcast at gmail, whatever works better for you. And we are available wherever you download your podcasts, um, iTunes, Spotify, um, iHeartRadio, YouTube. We are everywhere. And please leave us a review. We really do appreciate it. It helps us out a lot. But thank you, Faithful, and stay strong. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. 
Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.